see. All right. So this morning we'll start uh, John 12. And we've been talking about how chapters um, John um, 5 to 12 is sort of a section. So when we look at John as a whole, we see a sort of a, the first section in John 1 through 4. And then the second section, 5 to 12. Um, 13 to 18 is, is the third section and 19 to 21 is the, is the fourth section. Um, what I, I think I want to do is spend about two, two weeks, um, the day and next week, kind of going through the content of, of 12 and then, uh, have a wrap up session, um, with a five to 12 section, like maybe the third week. And then what I'd like to do, I'm still preparing that, but um, I'd like us to spend about four weeks, possibly just kind of take a little break uh, from the book of John. Well, I, my intentions are to come back to it, but to take a break. And as I was mentioning, um, we always want to keep um, um, challenging ourselves and keep in perspective evangelism and discipleship. So for four weeks, I want to spend some time I'm kind of equipping us a little bit with how to evangelize um, to different different faiths. Um, kind of look at a few things about the origin of some some major um, theological thoughts and um, and and how they use scripture, how they use prophecy. And so my, my my main focus is is to tie in that with what we've what we've um, done here. So if you go back to that scene, I'm sure everybody has seen the Karate Kid, and um, he's doing the wax on and the wax off and the and the pain in the fence and all that. I forgot the exact verbiage there, but um. But all of a sudden he gets aggravated with Mr. Miyagi and he says, you know, oh, everybody else is learning karate this way and you're teaching me this and, you know, this is dumb. And all of a sudden he starts striking at him and and just by natural um, reflex and instinct, um, this guy that thinks he doesn't know any karate is able to respond and 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 um, block these these strikes. And he has an aha moment. And I think the same way um, as we become disciples of Christ. Um, just like Mr. Miyagi, in a lot of ways, God trains us that way. Sometimes we're reading scripture and we don't maybe understand the purpose of it. Um, but then when the heat of the battle and the attack is coming on, we realize that he equipped us. And so that's one of the things that it's been my prayer and hope that we can bring out that some of the things that we've um we slowly walk through um, in chapters five to 12 have probably more weight than we can imagine. And so that that's my heartbeat of um, as we look at these other faiths that we, we learn to realize the, that approaching scripture the right way with the right control and the, um, the right mindset has great value. And we've seen a lot of that. God's taught us a lot of that as we went through the scripture. So we'll kind of un, un, unpack that a bit and, and hopefully see that um, we know more than we, th we thought we know. Um, um, so in 12.1, let me see if I've mentioned anything else. Um, uh, just just quickly and briefly, as you're getting your mind into this text, um, what we'll look at this morning in four or five parts will be, the first three stories will be kind of things that most of us are familiar with, but um, a Mary, a Mary anointing Jesus, um, a plot to kill Lazarus and the triumphal entry. 
Um, as we hit part four and five, we'll look at something a little bit different, but it'll just be the reality of how they didn't understand at first is the idea. So there's a lot of things that Jesus was doing that they didn't understand um, till after the resurrection. And then some of the Greeks seek Jesus. A lot of people point out that that's the mark. Jesus at that point says, my time has now come. If you remember in John 2, um, when Mary at two, four, I believe Mary is asking him to, to do the water and the wine. And he says, my time has not come. So now he's given us the word that my time for the purpose and reason that I've come here is, is come. And that happens. He's been talking to the Jews, talking to the Jews. And that happens at this moment when the, the Greeks or the Gentiles start to seek him. So that's the five overfull that we uh, overview that we're trying to do this morning. Just briefly before we start the first one, I want to review, um, we had about five things that we, when we dealt with chapter 11 of, um, of, um, of John, and it was, we, 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 we had five um, names or five people, sort of people groups, but we had the disciples in one to 16. And we, we had um, Martha and Mary when we went from 17 to 37. And then um, we moved into Lazarus and the actual healing. And then we see this, this um, Pharisee um, religious force kind of get involved um, with with some of the crowd that didn't necessarily believe or, or still had some questions about Jesus. Um, so we'll start setting the scene. I, I'm going to go ahead. We, we finished in 54 last week of John 11, and there's just a few more verses. But um, just as we set the scene, I, I want to read this text to get, get our mind on it. Um, in 54, as the Pharisees, it says in 53, so from the day on, they made plans to put him to death. This was right after the Caiaphas prophecy and that kind of thing. But in 54, it says, Jesus therefore no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went uh, from there to the region near the wilderness to a town called Ephraim. And there he stayed with his disciples. All right. So if we're pitching in our mind, he's he's like enough of all this hostility. And he's went, went to a quiet place. And he's leaving them alone for this period of time. And in 54, Jesus there, uh, I mean, 55. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand and many went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. They were looking for Jesus and saying to one another, they stood in the temple uh, or they saying to one another as they stood in the temple, what do you think that he will not come to the feast at all? Now, um, and so here you kind of see you're trying to get this perspective. So so you're you're kind of getting more indication that he had had not been around a while. Uh, maybe he was he was there. He's there. He's talking and all that. He's kind of went on the wilderness because they're trying to kill him. And so people are getting getting the anticipation of Passover coming. And they're they're asking this question. Is is he even going to come? We haven't seen him in a while. And it says in 57, now the chief priests and the Pharisees have given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he sh they should let him know so that they might arrest him. So people would have had a tug of war, war in their heart. Um, they would have known clearly that the religious authorities want to find Jesus and arrest him. Um, some of them probably like Jesus, like some of his teaching and some of the things, wanted to hear more. They weren't completely um, um, in, in um, um they hadn't completely settled their mind on who Jesus is, but they wanted to hear more, hear more and hear this big festival Passover is coming. Um, so here we pick up in 12 and um, 
And this one, I, I, I pondered this a little bit, um, but we'll just take it for, for, for what it is. It says six days before the Passover. So I don't know if these two events are exactly side by side each other or if they're a couple days apart. But um, but it, but it, he's bringing us to this place six days before the Passover. Jesus, therefore, came to Bethany when Lazarus, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive anointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with fragrance of the perfume. I'm going to pause there. Um, the next thing is, but Judas is scared. So there's, there's a complaint about what she did, um, but I'm going to pause there for a second. Um, I'm going to read Matthew there. Um, so when you talk about this particular story, um, Mary anointed Jesus, you have, um, just, just like the feeding of the 5,000. Some people see that as taking a higher level because it's in four gospels. There is this idea of a story in all four gospels. Um, most would say that, that the woman in Luke, Luke seven is not, this woman. So we'll, we'll kind of talk about that. Um, and then Matthew and Mark are pretty much side by side with one another, but they, they add a, a few more details um, as far as the actual anointing of, um, of his feet um, and the view of the disciples in here. Let me go ahead and finish reading this in four. It says, but Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, he who was about to betray him said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and having charge of the money bag, he he used to help himself to what was put in it. Um, and then the third element of this is leave her alone. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. So the three elements of the story is the act of Mary um, showing affection to Jesus through anointing him and that kind of thing. At the end, Jesus is making some conclusion. But in this case, only Judas is upset. John is sort of really throwing Judas under the bus and being pointed at him, which all of the texts that we have about Jesus, Judas being a knothead, most of those details is uh, more descriptively um, painted by John. But let's look at Matthew 26, um, 6 real quick. Um, it says, now when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper. Now, Simon the leper is not the phrase that we see here in our text this morning with John. A woman came up to him with an alabaster flask, a very expensive ointment, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at the table. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant. So here, um, this word indignant is similar to, to um, the tossing and turning of, of understanding the meaning of, of angry that we had before Jesus wept. It said he was um, deeply, um, um, what it, he was greatly troubled and, and deeply disturbed or however it said, but but we asked, was that a movement of anger like this that that we see here? Like um, 
like just an anger, like, like in the temple would be another example. He was angry when he was in the, in the temple and seeing them making God's house, something that it should not be. So you have sort of, when you look at anger, um, you have kind of two choices. Are you like mad, like, like get out of my father's house. Um, are you mad? Like Judas was maybe about this could have been sold for money to give to the poor. Or are you greatly troubled because you lost a loved one or someone betrayed you? Are you fixing to go to the cross? So you have sort of all these ideas that, that, that you have to kind of consider, but, but whatever the case, I, I would say the simplest interpretation here to keep both those things in mind is when it says, and when the disciples saw it, they were indignant saying, why the waste for this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. And then it finishes up. But Jesus aware of this said to them, why do you trouble this woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. So what I would like to pause for a minute and give you some of the context that I think through in this text is, um, is Two things when I went to Israel. When I went to Israel, um, I was buying some some like um, lotion and, and bath oils and stuff like that for my wife. And you know, I was not intentionally trying to flirt with with the 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 woman there, but I I was um, in American culture. You know, you walk in and you're trying to get a a prize for your wife and your guy and you don't know what women really like. And so you try to kind of glean in on that woman, like what kind of perfume would you like? What kind of lotions would you like? And so I did that. And the girl was quite offended at me and felt like I was making some kind of advance at her. And, and the point of that story is that even today, what they see as sexually wrong or sexually inappropriate um, is, is, way more conservative than what we see as inappropriate here in America. And I would imagine it was probably even more conservative at this time. So I want us to consider that what they thought was a prostitute um, was probably, you know, in most cases, what we would think of a reasonably good person. They just didn't allow so right now, today, they don't allow as much sexual immorality over there in the Middle East and spe specifically in Israel as we do here in America. Like just the idea of women just walking around randomly in bikinis and stuff. That's just not what they do. We're talking about a world of, of cover up and, and that kind of thing. Um, um, and then the other thing about the uh, ointment, one other story. So when we went to the Western Wall, there's a section like even like like they do bar mitzvahs, bar mitzvahs there. And um, so the whole family will come in with the family scroll and um, and and their their 12 year old boy is going to read the scripture for the first time at the Western Wall, this holy place. And what will actually happen is the women or kind of, there's a fenced in area by the Western wall and the women can't go past the fence. So they would go off on the side and be behind this fence. And then all the men would go in um, to a table by the Western wall and he would roll the scroll out and he would read it. And it's, it's a big festival event there. Um, but we're there at the Western wall and we go in a secret room we're, we're here. We are Gentiles. Right. And we're just busting up in all the because we're men, we're busting up in all the all the private places. But anyway, when they the, this um, rabbi or whatever, he, he he realizes that we're we're Americans or whatever. And he asks there's two of them and they ask if um, 
we would like a, a, a blessing prayed upon us, you know, by this rabbi. And, um, and I wasn't interested, but if some of y'all know David Orges, he was, he was interested in it. So the, the, the rabbi or whatever, um, prays over David Orges and his assistant is coming to me and he's like, you want to give me some money for this, this prayer. <laughs> and that was my experience. I was like, this is shoddy all the way around. I, I wasn't even interested in the prayer, but, but then when he's, he's, he's trying to get some money from me, but my point about this, and this, this was where it'll make some sense is I want you to know they stunk. Um, you know, over, we take for granted that we take baths, all the, you know, that, um, we, um, we always take, you know, my wife doesn't let anybody not take a bath every day. She's, she's the bath police, you know, <laughs> she has secret stealth skills of knowing if someone, you know, took a bath, but, but, but they, they would take a bath once or twice a week. And the clothes that this guy was wearing was so hot um, in a sense that you got to think you sweat and add to that stink. And I bring that all to this point. I want to ask a, a few questions. You know, uh, let's say, so five in this text, why did Mary anoint Jesus? What level of surrender was involved in this story? Was she a prostitute? And was it God's plan to prepare Jesus for burial? And was Jude, Judas a, a crook? Was just some of the thoughts that I had, you know, of this text. But I want to go through this. Was she a prostitute? Because I don't think, and we can look at that text, I don't think that the John 7, 7 is the same story or the same woman as M Mary here. But I do tend to believe that it's the same Mary of Matthew and Mark's account. Um, but you could be talking about three different women, two women, or one woman. But what I wanted to lay out on the framework is that there is some subtle distinctions that not not that Mary was some terrible prostituted woman, but based on their definition of what a prostitute was, a woman that doesn't hold herself or prove, um, there could be some some truth to that. There's other reasons why I don't think that, but I wouldn't just just dismay just because we've never thought of Mary as a little risque as a woman. Um, that, that, that's, that, that discredits the fact because they do say that it was a, a prostitute. Um, let's, let's see, I just read Matthew 11. Let me just read one more and we'll kind of open this up a bit is, is so Luke seven thirty six says one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. So we have Simon, the leper, the Pharisees and the house of Lazarus is kind of the scene setting there. Um, so are those three different places or are some of them joined together? So one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table and behold, a woman of the city. So this is a different, different description who was a sinner. When she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. So here's a similarity. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair, the hair of her head, and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. So I don't forget, I want to say this wiping, I think I, I may have a comment, but this just, just for emphasis sake, this wiping of his head with her hair was a big deal. Um, for a Jewish woman to uncover her hair 
um, which was like a garment of praise, that was a big deal. It would even be a big deal for most women today to, to, you know, if the husband said, woman, you wipe my feet with your hair because I don't have a towel. Like, you know, that would be demeaning, but there would be something in her soul that would be bothered with that hair that she takes so much care of. Um, so, so this is, this is speaking in so many ways to, um, a woman's great deal of affection, even so like a man is by nature made to lay his life down for those he loves. When Jesus challenges his disciples, he brings this idea up. Um, women are really not so much known as like, there's not pride in a woman in a, in a sense like it is with a man to lay his life down. Like the best that I have to offer is to lay my life down. Um, as husbands, we lay our lives down for our wives when we go to work, when we do the things that we can to protect them. That's the way we're wired. Women are wired more as caregivers. And what you see here is her, what I'm getting at is you see in all these stories, you see women, women or woman, whatever, you see them surrendering the very best of what they have to offer to show affection to Jesus. And it's not um, a sexual affection that's inappropriate. It's a very loving affection from a woman. And, uh, and, and what a very loving affection from a man would look like would be a little bit different. And so this, this word about her letting her hair down and wiping his feet with her hair is a pretty significant deal that drives to the, the, the heart of the, of the, of the point. So it says kissed his feet. That's a big deal. How many women does y'all's wives and, and, and y'all had y'all's feet kissed by your, your loved ones. Right. But she, uh, Kisses his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet. So I think this is what's odd, too. This seems to be like this statement early on. People are still trying to gather information about Jesus and make a um, distinction about who he is. And so this guy still seems to be early in the process um, he hasn't come to the conclusion where he's trying to arrest Jesus and he's evil or anything like that. If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answers, say it, teacher. A certain money leader had two elders, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. For which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one I suppose whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you judge rightly. Um, then turning to the woman, he said, so what he's pointing out is so as we're looking at how does a woman in Jesus's time show unbelievable, grateful love for their Lord, for their master, for the messenger that has been sent by um, God. And, um, he said, uh, Simon answered, the one you suppose whom cancel the debt. So what he's he's laying out clearly here is that if you have if you're pretty righteous and you haven't done too many mistakes, it's hard for you to love me like crazy because you haven't been you know forgiven. But but if this debt has been so great, so it shows the compassion of a woman. And, and you know, 
you have to think that when Jesus ministered, he's ministering to both men and women, but he's he's meeting them where they're at, and he's giving them something they've always longed for, not just a regular physical food and physical drink, but he's giving them something that is a spiritual food and a spiritual um, a spiritual drink that is meeting them at the core of their being in a way that is changing everything. So here's someone struggling, like in our world, we might struggle with alcohol or or or, or whatever, um, gambling or something like that. So here's a woman that had some insecurities and she was struggling with some things and she was she was living her life out in a way that was sort of out of bounds. And Jesus gave her something, an anchor, and 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 she found what she was looking for in Him. And in a in a in a in a all ex, um, uh, how would you say it? just uh, her whole being began to just surrender all and give worship to Him in the best way she knew. And she was not being inappropriate; she was just being extremely affectionate. And so He says here, then turning to um. Turning to the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from this time I came, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she had anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little, talking about Simon in this case, and uh, uh, the Pharisee. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who are at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this that even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. One of the things in where we call out Mary, this is just the woman. When we call out Mary, we never talk about like this last line where he says, um, and he says to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. He never really, you know, says that about Mary, that Mary, the one that he forgave her sins, you know. So I think it's a it's a, it's a enough differences here, in my opinion, to 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 say that they're two different stories. But what we can learn is this these these images that we have about with this this hair and the wiping of the feet. This one is the most description descriptive because one of the customs was their feet are, are nasty and dirty and they would come into a home and they you know they they weren't they weren't a bath culture like we are. You know, sometimes on a long journey in our culture we'd say, Hey, would you like to jump in the shower real quick? But but they weren't so much a bath culture because they didn't have indoor plumbing and it, it wasn't the same thing. But they would they would take what water they had and they would clean the feet. And I imagine like I don't know about you, but my wife, there's two things. She's like, I feel so good. I got a bath or I got fresh sheets on the bed. This That's just kind of women. Most all women are pretty common about that, that they like clean sheets on the bed and 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 taking a, a nice bath after after um ex exertion so in this case this idea would have been a little bit different in this culture but when people washed their feet and got all that gunk on their feet they would have been they would have been pleased by that and so here what he's saying in this environment this pharisee that invited him and is trying to be a host because last week in john 11 uh or or not in luke 
in Luke 10, 38 to 42, we saw that it, that picture of Mary and Martha, where Martha was trying to be a good host and Martha and Mary was at the feet of Jesus. And she asked Jesus, tell her to help me, you know, with serving these people. And um, so, so here you have like the bad host and the good host. And so Jesus comes and eats at this house. And um, this one guy is, he doesn't give him, he gives him the list. Um, you did not anoint my head with oil. You did not give me an affectionate kiss. You, you know, lack of hospitality. You did not give me water for my feet. And so here this woman with her tears is producing the water from the, 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 the cleansing of her soul is producing the water to wet his feet. She has no towel, so she uses her hair and she kisses his feet, not his head, but but you think those gross feet. She's just, just kissing that. She's all in. She's completely devoted, completely affectionate. And, and I don't think you can pull, uh, I don't think any other human being can pull that type of response from another human being. Um, I think I think you're looking at worship here that is only God. It's only worthy to God and only God can deserve or, 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 or compel someone to love that way. So I know I spent way too much time on all that, but but that's that's the story. It is, it you know, in some sense in all four gospels. So I wanted to um, to cover it, you know, in that way. Um, so any any thoughts, questions on that um, before we hit any of the other topics on um, a plot to kill Lazarus or anything any I know Paul sent me a text I didn't look at it let me see what you got Paul what you um, what was your thoughts are you just sent me a okay I'll read that later but uh so any thoughts on on this um this that ste steps out to you and even Mary Magdalene is Mary Magdalene one of these two is yeah because you know, I what I never really delved into it until really a couple of days ago. And there's, like I said, three schools of thought. Some people say Mary Magdalene, Mary Bethany, and Mary at Simon's house are the same person. Some people think it's two different people. And some scholars think it's three completely different people. So, And there's really not enough uh, proof to, you know, 100%. But it's kind of interesting, if, you know, kind of makes you wonder how they all fit together if they're all completely different or the same. Yeah. yeah, Mary was a um, a super common name then, and it seems like there's there's a good bit of Marys in in the Bible. I think there's even more than one Mary at um, the resurrection account. I know Mary Magdalene; she was the one that was they said it was healed of seven demons. Um, but regardless if this is the same Mary or not, uh, just look at look at the cost. Um, you know, look at the attention that they gave something of great value like judas was upset in, in um john 12 that she was using this expensive uh perfume and um to me it's it's when you have a changed life you're gonna want to give your best not to repay but just to show yeah. gratitude and i feel like that's what she was doing right here showing gratitude for christ and the, and this mary in john 12 she just saw her brother who had been dead for four days, she had been mourning. She was torn up and broken over the loss of her brother that she loved. And, and, you know, here he comes and, and performs this capstone miracle and raises him from the dead. 
And, and again, it, it changes her life in such a way that she's willing to give the most expensive things away to, to serve him and worship him. Yeah. Yeah. Anybody else? You know, you don't want to dig too deep into this because it's not the, the primary thing, but what you had read in Matthew, it says, while Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper, I think that one's got to be the same. The Matthew uh, 26 and the John 12, but it says here they were in Bethany where Lazarus lived. That's the town that Lazarus lived, but that didn't say they're at the house that Lazarus lived. So Simon may have lived in, in Bethany and must have lived in Bethany as well. So maybe the dinner they had for Jesus was at Simon's house in Bethany, the town that Lazarus also lived in. So those two kind of reconcile with each other, but the um the uh the one in Luke seven seems like a, a different account. Yeah. And so sometimes the the scripture leaves us with a tension like that. And I think the lesson to learn when there's some tension like that is um, I, th I think it disciplines us from forth. Uh, it, it, it gives us the opportunity um, of discipline to keep us from um, taking what we like and making it say what we want it to say. Um, so sometimes there's some things we wish the Bible was more clear on um, and just say it. Um, but but God in his sovereignty, you know, he tells you what you need to know. And so if God's not clear on it, you don't have to force it. I think what you can take from all three stories is is what I would say is 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 three things. Is one, it says that um, there were some women that were very thankful for Jesus and what He was doing, and they showed it with with extraordinary levels of outward um, expression, um, and and that's different than the way a man would show their their appreciation for for Jesus. Um, but but the other thing is in in here John he he says Judas Iscariot was the sole angry guy, but Matthew and Mark says the disciples. It gives a more plural deal. But I think another way of um, possibly the right interpretation could be be um, softening softening the angry deal, and it could just mean it was very unusual and different. Um, you know, it, it could have meant that the disciples were like, never seen this before. And and I think that's a clear, you know, picture of something that was going on. What is she doing whipping her hair out and wiping his feet and throwing this all? And that could have seemed very odd and very impractical to them. And that could have been what the indignation meant. Um, but, but also back to those two stories I told you from Israel about the stinking and the, um, prostitute kind of idea and trying to get into that culture is, um, let's see where it says it. It says, Mary therefore took out a pound of expensive ointment made from pure Nord and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And then this part right here, it says the house was filled with the perfume. I'm just, I've got four daughters. And I'm married for 24 years. And I can tell you that women notice that men stink. You know, uh, I remember some of y'all know Chanel. And I still, when I think of bath today, think about this is um, we were talking about body wash. And um, 
And, and I remember her saying one time, she said, yeah, use all of that. Like three different types of soap, body wash, men stink. And you would be surprised how many women don't tell guys, Ooh, you kind of stinking because of the, for other reasons, they want to be with them and they don't want to push them away. But, but, but I think from a woman's eyes, this perfume thing that a bunch of stinky men in that house, like, like, it is, you know, my wife has a phrase that she says, um, smell is the key. I think that's what she says, like smell matters, you know? So for women, pleasantness, attractiveness is about smell. Like a man needs to clean himself up and, and, and look nice. And, and, and so, so just knowing that about women, you know, I think there's two things with this perfume because Jesus does talk about his barrel. And we talked about last week, when they would put them in a tomb, they'd put a lot of smell good on it, purpury type stuff, so that when they opened the tomb to check and make sure he, he was dead, um, he, he wouldn't stink too bad, um, or at least they could halfway tolerate it. Um, but in this case, um, she's doing two things. One, she, she's just given her wealth, you know, her 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 probably um, the thing that she a lot of tradition says that she would have sold that perfume when she got married and that would allow her and her husband to live a year. Um, that that was the way they would carry that. They didn't have banks and savings accounts like we do today. So that's the way they would have carried that wealth. But she decided, hey, I don't care about wedding. We, Me and my family have been saving for this for forever. I'm, I, I think it in so many ways just speaks of her way of surrendering all. And this last point, he says, Jesus says, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. So he's using this word. All of them does this. He uses this wor word of pointing to the rhyme and reason of what she's doing in some sense has a has a, a, a meaning for his burial. And so like in their culture, I asked this question, what would... If you were to go on a like a big speech or something like that, you would take a bath, you would get dressed and you would dress up nice. In a sense, Jesus is about to go on his big speech. And, you know, in some sense, just like getting the bride ready for, you know, a wedding, in some sense, this in their day and age, without plumbing, without bath taking and all that, this could have very well what he's speaking about here. Of, of that she's doing this to prepare me for my day of burial. Um, as you're trying to reconcile that, that could have been what that looked like. So those are all just suggestions, my own opinions from studying the, 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 the text and asking that question, what does that part mean that, that this is going to be for her barrel? And I believe one of the texts that I found, um, I think it was in Matthew, um, um, it, it was in the Matthew 26, 6, 12 and, and Mark, um, he's, they add to this, they say in Mark, um, in, in Matthew 26, verse 13, it says, truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. And so there's a lot of emphasis Jesus is putting to this perfume and the preparing for the barrel. And again, with the disciples being in, in, indignant, 
or Judas saying something and then bringing out the thing of the poor and them thinking that this is not a practical use of resources or time or devotion. Um, Jesus is saying something shocking. You do not realize what is happening here. And as we, you know, look at the next um, parts of the story, um, he, he's essentially walking into the town for the last time where he will be, he will be tried and crucified. And so they're, you know, they didn't give his disciples and his followers these opportunities. So essentially, this is the last, this is the time, this is the moment and opportunity, the last chance that they essentially get to get him ready for what he's fixing to go do on our behalf. So I know I'm gonna, I'm gonna be quiet here. We don't, we don't have to do the other four parts. Um, I'll give y'all some, some time to, to kind of finish this and um you know it's all right if we don't get to what we originally planned well i don't know how far you plan to go but um i mean this is such a a big uh part of christ's life in that uh this is the first this this period of time where he leaves jerusalem and stays among his loyal followers wherever it's at, whatever town he's in, Ephraim or Bethany, it's all about how people begin to adjust that, that know in their hearts that the crucifixion or the, or the arrest of this criminal is going to happen and his ministry is going to come to a sad end. Um, the Bible is showing us all the different reactions people have had at that time when this happened. I mean, you, when you think about the cross and, 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 it was only men who yelled, jump down from there, but women just cried because they knew he was dying. And is it different ways that God presented to all of, all of Israel this this very special time? You know, when Jesus said, my time has not yet come, you know, his time didn't come for ministry at the at the winemaking. His time for ministry went through this to this point. Now his time had come to face the crucifixion. And everything that was involved, the arrest, the the betrayals, everything about it. But it was a different section of time. And I think every one of the gospels wanted to point out what people were how people were reacting, how Israel, all his followers, and the and the enemies were all reacting when they when they realized the time had come for the end of his life, because uh, his his crucifixion was well predicted in, in Isaiah. I have to, I want to reread Isaiah, but uh, how he described, but everybody knows that the Messiah was going to be crucified. And uh, this, this is a big beginning of, of, of the final uh, earthly life of Christ. Yeah. So what do you think, Mr. Shane? What you see there? Uh, I mean, yeah, I kind of stated it. I don't have anything extra to throw in. Anybody else? We've got, I guess, 10 minutes. I can I can hit um, verse 9. I always like, you know, since we got hit at 9-11, I always like I, I find text sometimes, but this is the 9-11 of, you know, 9 through 11. Um of, of chapter 12 here, but it says when the large crowd of the Jews learn 
that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. So um, he's going to identify, let me see what verses here. Um, as you're as you walking through this te text, I think this this people group of the large crowd um, is important. Um, there's there's um, so so in in twelve nine it says um, when the large crowd of Jesus learned that Jesus was there, and then in twelve it says the next day the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. And if you go down to um, 18, it says the reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So um, if you go to 11, 1145 to 46, just one more. Um, it says many of the Jews, this was after the healing of Lazarus. It says many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. So there's this large crowd, and then there's some that believe in him, but some that went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus was done. So some was like, this guy is awesome, and they kind of have full devotion for them for him. Some of them, their minds are still not set, and they said, I think we need to tell the authorities about this. This is, um, you know, they need to know about this. Um, so you have these, what they'll call the large crowd and then the crowd that was with him. And so this, let me find this other verse, just one more, um, is in, in John 12, uh, 12, 17. It says the, cr the crowd that in John um, 12, 17, it says the crowd that had been with him, he called, who called, the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said, um, there's, there's one verse here. Um, you see that they gain nothing. The whole world is after, after him. And I think there's a verse here. I'm not seeing that they, they were believing because of the sign that he did. Um, with Lazarus. So this is my question at this, with a large crowd of Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on the account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom they had raised from the dead. Um, this is where it says, um, verse 11, he says, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. This is what's interesting from a philosophical point of view of thinking through this, this particular section of scripture is one, if 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 you kill Lazarus and Jesus is just rosing from the dead, which is a, a unprecedented event, do you not think through reasonably that he can rising from the dead again? So it's kind of dumb to kill someone that's been rose from the dead because they can be you know rose from the dead again. Um, then um, it also kind of, in a sense, you know, when you think about it, and of course we read it from, from our perspective, knowing the whole story, but it also in a very subtle way is painting the picture of 
of the resurrection that are the possibility. So we see Jesus tells them a couple different times that, you know, he'll, he will, he will go and he'll be tried and persecuted and died. And on three days later, he will raise again. I always think it's interesting how none of the disciples were looking three days later um, for Jesus to rise and was extremely shocked by it. Even when people were coming and saying he's rose, they're like, can't happen. Well, they directly was told that he would rise in three days and, and it just never rang a bell. It was, it was difficult, you know, for them, but, but my question is, and, and Mr. Wayne mentioned a little bit of that is when we look at the end of, um, we, we see Christ on the cross and we see them make those comments where they say he saved others. Can he save him? Can he save himself? Well, they, they at least are somewhat thinking through this hypothetical ability. Um, but, but here, you're going to you're you're putting a plan together to kill someone that Jesus rose from the dead and you want to kill the one that rose someone from the dead and the question is if you kill Lazarus can Jesus raise him from the dead again if he's already done it once and i think the logical answer is yes but if he can raise Lazarus from the dead can he raise himself from the dead and and you know i i know that we we read um it was somewhere there in John let me see if I can find it. But in, in John in John 10, um, let's see if I can find it real quick. But it's 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 where he says, um I, it's it's where he talks about him laying his lay yeah, here. So he says, and we, we talked about the Trinity and like how this is a tough text to try to really logically understand, but it's in 10 17. And he says, for this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. So here's that reality of his ability to 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 raise himself from the dead in a sense. And he says, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. And then he says, I have the authority, authority, authority to lay it down and I have the authority to take it up. This charge I've received from my father. So sometimes it makes sense for us in our mind that, um, that, you know, sometimes in, I think it's in Romans eight eleven it says um, the power that the same, that the same power that God um, that, that raised Jesus from the dead that lives in us. And sometimes we see that as, you know, God sends the Holy spirit to raise Jesus from the dead and the resurrection. But here it gives us a challenge that Jesus himself had the charge and ability to do, do it him, you know, himself. And I surely am not smart enough to answer all those questions that that generates. But, but, but the point here is that, um, you know, all we fully realize and like even today, as we have the full story and we still dive through this scripture and we realize things as, you know, I've been a Christian probably 40 years I've read my Bible 20 some odd times, been in church, listen to a lot of preachers and, and I can still read this word and see more, more and more depth in it. I can still um, realize a little bit more. And I know we're running out of time, but um, let me see, we got one, I'll hit this triumphal entry and introduce that fourth section. It says the next day, the large crowd, the large crowd, that came to the feast, heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees 
and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your daughter has come and sitting on a donkey's colt. And I want to finish with this verse here. It says, his disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. And, you know, my, my question, you know, as I was, I was unpacking um, that, um, I, I guess I didn't, I didn't write it down, but like, do you, I, I'll look, I will close with this question um, as you read scripture, as you walk in your life with Christ, do you, are you growing in a depth of realizing more and more how awesome he is more and more, how complete what he did? Like sometimes I know when I came to the gospel the first time I was like, um, yeah, you know, you know, just, I don't know, you know, and, and sometimes maybe some of the things we talked about trying to reconcile um, this Mary and anointing and burial, there may have been some things that you said, you know, I don't know. I never heard that before, but God grows us in that way. And, and clearly, just like I, I mentioned the, um, the, he said, I, in three days, I'll rise. Clearly they didn't fully understand um, the, the resurrection. Um what is what is so clear here let me see if i can find it um but when he when he tells martha he says i am the resurrection and the life whoever believes in me though he die yet shall he live and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die do you believe this you know you're seeing these examples of where they they have not fully believed that yet. And they're growing in that belief. He's given them opportunities to grow in that belief. And there's still things today, as you do your own personal devotion in your heart this morning, there's still things today that we haven't fully come to take Jesus at his word and believe him. Um, that's the struggle we saw Martha in chapter 11 wrestling with. He's telling her hard things and he's struggling to deal with that. He told the disciples hard things about raising in three days. And so our weakness in our flesh, it's our prayer that our weakness in our flesh comes in line with, with what Jesus says is true. And sometimes even if we want to in our mind to trust and believe that every word that comes out of his mouth is true and weighty and powerful and life-giving, sometimes we still wrestle with that. And so we are encouraged as we read how these other people navigate through this, that we're not alone, that we're in the same boat, but we, we serve a loving God that, that can get it done. He can, he can open our eyes to the truth of, of who he is and we can trust on him. Final thoughts? I'll say that, you know, it says that um, they didn't remember these things till he was glorified. Well, there was something like, for instance, it wasn't in Isaiah that he, they said he would be hanged on a tree or something to that. It wasn't crucifixion relatively new uh, in this time. So they had their preconceived notions of what a, Messiah or King looked at and that the Jews, everyone, I'm sure Greeks, Gentiles, all of them 
So we had preconceived notions of, you know, that they couldn't understand this until it, they, they can look back and see everything that's going on. And that's, I believe, the end of our lives, you know, I, I, or once we go on to heaven, we'll be able to piece things together or maybe of uh, how, how God worked things in our lives and yeah, uh, for his glory. Sure. Anything else? Mike, Paul? Well, thank y'all this morning. Um, I'm glad everybody could make it. Um, hopefully we, we covered what the Lord wanted us to cover this morning. Um, we'll just um, next week flow in. Um, like I said, I, I'll, I'll try to do the best I can with, with our time of in the next two weeks. Um, um, us finishing up, uh, up chapter 12. And, um, and I'll, I'll, I'll send out a little information with y'all about the, um, you know, I, I, I'm not sure. I've asked for prayer for this particular thing, but basically what I want to look at is um, some origins of Seventh-day Adventists, um, Jehovah's Witness, Mormons, um, and, and look at a couple other, the Catholic group. Um, I think I sent out a video with the Catholic group um, um, a while back. I know Paul looked at it a little bit, but but my my goal in doing that is just briefly for us to to um, get a handful of, um, of challenges um, that people of this faith believe. And um and and really kind of answer the question: How do we know that what we believe is right? I think it's a very low percentage of people that enter into some type of religion. Like most people, when they enter into religion, they they enter into a religion that is um what their family taught them. You know, you if 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 you, most people that are Catholic are because their parents were Catholic. Most people that are Baptist are because their parents were Baptist. And so we'll talk about how some of that happens and why that happens. And um, and how how many people actually know enough about those different major faiths that can say with confidence that this is the right one? Because that's the question that is asked a lot. How do you know that your way is the right way? And so we'll 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 address trying to answer that in a very simple way, just a very logical way. We'll look at the origins of these movements. We'll look at how do they handle scripture, how they handle prophecy. And we'll just ask ourselves simply, um, is that a good, uh, a, a reliable hermeneutic or a reliable way of approaching scripture and the things of God? And does it build it on the foundation of Christ alone? Or does it have to prop Christ up or prop up scripture, um, prop up revelation in, in certain ways to help it out. And, um, and so we'll just look at that and, and, and just challenge our hearts to, 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 to revisit, you know, one personally, how, how confident are we in our faith? And then, um, and if we do find ourselves to be confident in our faith, how much do we care about other people that are mis misled and, um, and not knowing because ultimately, you know, I heard it said one time, it said, the most important thing you think about is when you think about Christ, I think is the way they said it. So if you use scripture or prophecy in a way that paints a picture of a Christ that's not the Christ, and it represents him some way, then at that point, you're, you're actually worshiping a false God. And all that, all of that can be um, mixed up in, in nicety and all yeah. that. So we'll look at all that. Um, so... Uh, Mike, you want to close this in prayer? Sure. Uh, we just thank you for this day. Thank you for um, just the time we've been able to spend together. Um, just looking at your word and 
even though this uh, story of of Mary and which Mary it was and um, can be somewhat uh, confusing or or the pieces don't fit together like like we think they should. We know that it had a, had a reason and a purpose for you to include it in Scripture the way you did, Lord, and and perhaps it's just to keep us um, focused on the 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 real meaning of what's going on is that a Mary uh, worshipped you with her whole heart and and um, gave it all up for you, Lord, and um, gave the the things that were were precious to her and and um, just worshipped you with her her hair and uh, and just kissed on your feet, Lord. Uh, it's just a beautiful picture of someone who has surrendered all, Lord. Just thank you for um, just all that you've done for us, Lord. Help us to have a, an attitude of worship, an uh, attitude of thankfulness, and um, ones who who desire to give it all for you as well, Lord. Thank you for these guys. I just pray that um, they all have a great day today, Lord. Help us just to, um, truly worship you in spirit and in truth. We love you. We praise you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Hey, guys. Hope you have a good week. If you all need anything, let me know. All right. See you. Yeah.